Surely today we're on the edge of the kingdom. The angels are working, their fingerprints are everywhere. Welcome to the Bible in the News. This is Tim Billington joining you. Let's look at some examples of the angels' work. We've seen now the Jews returning to their land for many years in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. It's the second time. The first time, of course, was the return from Babylon. And now the second and final time is their return from all the nations of the world. There are now more Jews in Israel than there are in any other country in the world. This is a time to be remembered as when God brought Israel out of Egypt. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that they shall no more say, Yahweh liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But Yahweh liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, from all countries, whether I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. No part of God's word is falling incomplete, as we see with every passing day, more things are fulfilled. In 1967, Jerusalem and other lands were taken by Israel. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem have now been in Israeli hands for a few months shy of 50 years. But I'd just like you to notice that it's Judah and Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem has to be the old city of Jerusalem because that is the area that biblically was Jerusalem. That's where King David lived and that old Mount Zion and Mount Moriah, that is Jerusalem. So that was taken by Israel in 1967, along with what's now called by the world the West Bank or Judea and Samaria. So the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, when that is returned. <clears throat> Let's read that again. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, and then it goes on, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. God brings back the captivity of Judah and of Jerusalem. The gathering of all nations, note, the gathering of all nations down to judgment is linked to Israel's regathering. So we have to look for global public opinion to swing against Israel at this time as these prophecies are fulfilled. And that's, of course, exactly what we actually see. An example of this is the resolution that was recently passed by the UN Security Council. Zechariah 14, verse 2, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So after years of instigation from the Palestinians, they've been working in these international bodies for a long time to get these things to happen. The nations voted against Israel at the UN Security Council in a resolution that equates Jews building houses in Judea and Samaria with Arabs killing Jews in terrorist acts. Ridiculous, but it's what happened. And it lays the legal framework for the invasion of Israel as it labels Israel's settlements a flagrant violation of international law. But before this happens, we need to see peace in the midst of the land. That's the same area of Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. 
Ezekiel 38, a parallel prophecy, says, and thou shalt say, this is verse 11, thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. That midst of the land, if you look at a map, clearly that West Bank, Judea and Samaria area is literally in the middle of the land. And biblically, that midst of the land is actually the navel of the land. And that word is only used in this kind of context in one other place. And um, it's referring to Shechem, which is the middle of, uh, of Samaria. So the period right before the great battle is a time of peace, but it's a peace that sees Jews dwelling in the midst of the land in this area. So that means it can't be the two-state solution that the nations have been pushing for, because that would sever that middle of the land out of Israel's control. It would sever God's land down the middle. So what we need to look for is new verses, new voices that are striving for something new because that two-state solution doesn't fulfill the prophecy. <clears throat> One, because the Jews need to be living there, and two, because that's the thorn in the side of the nations that makes them angry and is bringing them down. So, sold to the children of Judah. Let's read on in Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, verses 4 to 8. It says, Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Palestine? The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have ye sold unto the Grecians, that ye might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will sell your sons and your daughters to the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for Yahweh hath spoken it. So let's look at who this might be talking about. So that uh, verse 8, <clears throat> I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans. Who is this passage talking about? Well, <clears throat> the one group of people has to be the Palestinians. That seems fairly straightforward. And then we also have the children of Grecia. Now, the Grecians, if you look back through history to the time of these prophecies, it was um, it was described in Daniel's prophecy of the ram and the he-goat as um, the Grecian power was the power that Rome came out of. So it's it's associated with Rome in that way. And if we look in history, the Italian peninsula especially, but many other areas also, were settled by the Greeks before the expansion of Rome. And that area of the Italian peninsula was actually called Magna Graecia. And let's take a look. Early Greek settlements. The different colors are different ages, but you can see that they're scattered all around. <clears throat> they're quite heavily in Italy. They're in Russia, around the Black Sea, Greece, France, Spain, even Africa a little bit. 
So this this um, Greek influence, these Greek settlements spread uh, over quite a lot of that um, that Mediterranean area and Europe. Okay, now for the children of Judah and Sabaeans. This is where it gets interesting. The Sabaeans would primarily be today what is the war-torn country of Yemen, although it was likely larger than what's Yemen today, taking in more of the Arabian Peninsula, and some even think possibly into Africa. So that's what that's talking about. But now let's look at the children of Judah. The simple answer would be just to say that this is the Jews. That's straightforward and that's true. But it does seem to be something a little bit more specific. Consider this. If the bringing again of the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem is 1967, it's marked by the date that they gained the old city. Because the old city is Jerusalem, they gained Jerusalem in 1967, saying that the captivity of Judah is returned at the same time. So, if that logic follows, Judah here must refer to all or part of the other territory that they gained at the same time, the West Bank. Consider the following. The ancient tribal allotment of Judah is in that area. The ancient kingdom of Judah during the divided kingdom was in that area. And in the Roman time, the province of Judea was in that area also. The province of Judea was larger. In that case, if you counted as the province of Judea, you would take in part of Samaria as well. You'd extend further to the north. But in, in any of those scenarios, um, what that would mean is that it would label those that the world would call the Jewish settlers from the occupied West Bank the children of Judah. Do you get that? If the other area that was captured in 1967 is Judah, then the Jewish settlers that the world is losing their minds about today would be the children of Judah. <clears throat> so Israel, a sign is to be proclaimed. So this is something that we need to be shouting about and proclaiming among the nations. Jeremiah 31, verse 7, For thus saith Yahweh, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Yahweh, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. And in verse 10 it says, Hear the word of Yahweh, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him, as a shepherd doth his flock. This is to be the time of Israel's great salvation. This is the time when God is moving to save his people. AD 70 was a time of great judgment for Israel, and Armageddon will be a time of God's judgment upon the Gentiles. Look at Joel chapter 3, verse 2. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage of Israel. AD 70 was a time that saw two-thirds of Jews killed and the rest scattered among the nations. This is to be a time of Israel's great salvation. It says also in um, Jeremiah that there, there would be punishment for them. It will be a time of trouble, but not like it was in AD 70.
on a day of salvation is to be coming <clears throat> for Israel. Let's look at this that John Thomas wrote in the last days of Judah's commonwealth. He's commenting on Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 7. It says, The time of Jacob's trouble, out of which he is to be saved, is a great day, so that none is like it. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. The great and terrible day of Jehovah upon the Gentiles, as the last days were upon the Jews. These last days were what Peter styles the day of God, which his brethren in Christ were looking for and earnestly desiring the presence of. That's the second epistle of Peter, and 3 verse 12. A day of days that needs to be shortened, or no flesh of Israel in the land would have escaped. Mark chapter 13 verse 20. But the latter days are the year of the redeemed of Jehovah, the day of Jehovah's vengeance, the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. Isaiah 34 verse 8 and 63 verse 4. So the last days that he refers to are the days of AD 70. The latter days are our days, the time of judgment on the Gentiles. <clears throat> and it's interesting now what we're seeing in Israel. There's an awakening happening, a religious awakening. The rest of the world is heading towards atheism, humanism, and morality, turning away from God. But in Israel, the opposite is happening. They're turning towards God. They're coming back to their land. They're seeing God's hand at work. It's building faith, and their minds are being opened to the fulfillment of Scripture. They're being prepared for teaching. And it makes sense that the teaching that the Bible talks about, the teaching that precedes Armageddon, that Elijah and the teachers of Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15 and 23 verse 4 and so on will, will do, that teaching, it makes sense that that would be in this time of peace. So let's have a look at this awakening that's happening a little bit. <clears throat> now this is... Um, well, this is Haaretz. This is a left-leaning paper, and they would not be excited about what their headline is here, that the successors of Rabbi Cook are Israel's new ruling elite. Rabbi Cook was the spiritual father of the religious Zionist movement. That's the movement that has spearheaded the settlement enterprise. So now, not only have they risen, but they've risen to the point that they're actually taking over um, Israel's political systems. One man that's notable in this regard is a man by the name of Naftali Bennett. He's currently an Israeli government minister, and a poll was recently taken where um, it gave a hypothetical situation that if he was the head of the Likud party, that he would actually win the most seats out of any party in the Knesset and therefore would become prime minister. Now what's interesting is Netanyahu is currently under investigation for corruption. So we could well see quite shortly a new leadership in Israel. Will there be a new leader? <clears throat> so this um, Naftali Bennett, who is this man? He's a right wing um, a right-wing minister, and he heads a party that um, would you could call it the the settler party in a way. Uh, it's called Jewish Home, and um, it's quite right-wing and supports settlement in Judea and Samaria. 
He's vowed to introduce a bill to formally annex the West Bank settlement of Malayarumi, a city of about 40,000, and it's about five miles east of Jerusalem. A recent poll showed that almost 40% of Israelis would favor the annexation of the entire West Bank. These polls show that the political climate in Israel is changing. The political climate has, in fact, changed to the point that these things are no longer marginal, but they're coming to the center. So this peace in the midst of the land that we're expecting, perhaps now God is raising up just the right leadership to usher in this time of peace into the land. It tells us in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdoms of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. He will put the men in position that he needs to be there to fulfill his will. And I think one of those people is Donald Trump. He's just been inaugurated, and he's been appointing Zionists to positions that would have to do with negotiating peace for Israel. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 7 said, Shout among the chief of the nations, publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Yahweh, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. And it appears this is what's been happening. Donald Trump's appointing avid Zionists to set the agenda to bring peace in Israel. Interestingly, Donald Trump has never contacted any Palestinian delegation, which is unlike his predecessor. And um, he's appointed Jared Kushner, which we see on the left, who is um, an avid Zionist. And when he appointed him, he made the comment that Jared would be able to make a peace deal for Israel. So that's not um, a peace deal for the Palestinians or anything like that, but specifically a peace deal for Israel. It's an interesting way he worded that. Friedman, who we have on the right there, <clears throat> is an avid supporter of the settlement since raised millions for the settlement of Bethel. Interesting also, settlers were invited to Trump's inauguration. That's leaders of Judea and Samaria, the Yesha Council, and members of the Israeli Knesset who support settlement in those areas were invited to Trump's inauguration. One of those people was Yehuda Glick, who is one of two Israeli MKs to receive a personal invitation to attend Trump's inauguration. They're the first members of the Knesset to attend a presidential inauguration. <clears throat> also, several leaders of the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria also accepted invitations to attend the inauguration, including Samaria Regional Council Head Yossi Dagan, Efrat Mayor Oded Revivi, and Meilerumim Mayor Benny Kashriel. All of those invited support Israeli Jewish towns of Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. All but one of them live in Judea and Samaria. So let's have a little look at this man, Yehuda Glick. He's quite an interesting individual. He's now an M MK and he's a Temple Mount activist. He's the only person in Israeli history shot in an attempted assassination that actually survived. He was shot four times at point blank range by an Arab terrorist. And after he was in hospital for about a month, he was released and has done very well. Shortly after that happened, which seemed to be a, a miraculous survival, he was sworn in as a member of Knesset. Now, the interesting thing about that 
is that he, didn't, he never made any effort to actually make it into the Israeli parliament. Whoever ends up in government without trying, it's almost ludicrous in today's world. But that's what happened to this man. He gained the 33rd spot on the Likud list. It was a spot that was reserved for a resident of Judea and Samaria. And then there was three people that were um, that had to resign for one reason or another, which made a spot open for him. And he is a resident of the southern Judean community of Otniel. Now let's have a look at what this man says about peace. This would be a typical kind of plan. Uh, so let's read this little quote. Glick's vision of peace is coexistence under Jewish control. Palestinians, he said, have missed the train for their own state. He instead advocates subsuming the occupied West Bank where he lives with his wife and children in the Jewish settlement of Othniel into Israel. In this vision, the West Bank Palestinians would become citizens of Jewish Israel, gaining the right to serve in the Israeli Knesset, but ceding their hopes for independence. His proposal, he said, does not include Gaza and its one and a half million Palestinians at this time. This would enable his expanded version of Israel to maintain a Jewish majority, albeit a smaller one, about 63% of the population compared to the almost 75% that there is now. Moreover, Israel would pay Palestinians to emigrate, he added, abetting a quiet flow out of the West Bank's Arab population that he claimed was already taking place. The project in Judea and Samaria will be gradual, his spokesman wrote in an email, using biblical names for the West Bank region. And in addition, only those who are not part of any terrorist activity for 10 years will receive citizenship. So that's an interesting plan that he has there. That's a vision for peace that would fit Joel chapter 3. This is an interesting little comment that President Trump made as he was inaugurated. He said, we stand at the birth of a new millennium ready to unlock the histories of space to free the earth from the miseries of disease and to harness the energies, industries, and technologies of tomorrow. I don't think Trump knew what he was saying. Where are we in the world? What is going on? What does this mean? We're on the very edge of the return of Jesus Christ. We're on the verge of the resurrection of Elijah the prophet, and we're on the verge of the bringing in of the new millennium. The controversy of Zion is coming to a head Elijah will soon teach his people again, and the Messiah will save all of Israel. Tomorrow morning may be the resurrection morning. When God opens the graves to new life, it may not be tomorrow, but it must be soon. <laughs>